Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. From the Badgers to Whitewater, from Concordia to Carroll, some of the best college football is played right here in the state of Wisconsin. Alongside the professor Dan Underberg and our producer, the Polish pipe bomb, Jeff Orlowski. I'm Don Wachillis. This is the college football show, and it starts right now. Once again, welcome in, everyone, to the college football show right here on 105.7 FM. The fan, as I mentioned, with the professor Dan Underberg and our producer, Jeff Orlowski. Uh, Jeff, I don't know how we're supposed to start this show after that (laughs) fine sports update, but we'll do our best to make our way through tonight's broadcast. Two hours as we sit here and cover college football in the state of Wisconsin and across our fine country. Coming up at 9 o'clock, we'll talk with the head coach at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. Head coach Kevin Bullis will be good enough to join us. Right now, Whitewater ranked number 5 in the country. Another big win this past week. So at 9 o'clock, we'll talk with coach, and we'll take a look at what's going on with the Division Three with regards to the state. Got a shout-out again to Concordia University and Mequon, another big win. They're slowly but surely making some headway in their conference. So, again, a lot of good football being played. A lot of things happening last week, which is why I love college football as opposed sometimes to the pro game. I, I Just some of the upsets that occur, again, taking place last week. And in the forefront, Daniel, the Big Ten. But before we get to that, before we look at what was – the Badgers against Illinois. We've got some breaking news coming out of Madison. It was first reported by Bill Scott of the Wisconsin Radio Network, later confirmed by Jeff Patrikas of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and that's Alex Hornerbrook is in concussion protocol. And being in concussion protocol right now, we're not sure whether or not Alex Hornerbrook will be ready Saturday for the game against Northwestern, which would mean Jack Cohn, the sophomore would get the start. And according to Jeff Patrikas at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Jack Cohen has gotten the majority of the work, the snaps this week. So Daniel, indications right now pointing towards Hornerbrook having to be on the sidelines injury-related, not necessarily Mm play-related. But it's going to be interesting to see because here you're going to have a sophomore who's going to have to step into what – and we'll talk about this here in the next segment or so. We're we're almost in elimination time in the Big Ten West. Yeah. When you look at Northwestern, Purdue, Wisconsin, the way things have played out, okay, you've taken care of business against Iowa, but Purdue and Northwestern now making some noise 
in the Big Ten West, and you're going to have to get through both of them in order to make your way, hopefully, to another Big Ten championship attempt. And now you might have to have your first, what we'll call, elimination game with your backup quarterback. How concerned are you, Dan? And I I guess the way I'm looking at it is we have such a sound running game. If this young man can step in and handle, just handle Mm -hmm. the game, right? throw a couple five, ten-yard outs, slants, seam routes, whatever the case may be, I don't need this quarterback to come in and play like Aaron Rodgers. I need this quarterback to come in and manage the game and throw the ball somewhat effectively. It it doesn't, I think, concern me as much as some other teams who throw the ball, i.e. teams in the SEC. Yeah, I um, I look at this game against Northwestern, and I it it's been freaking me out for a little while now. Looking looking into it because you've got you've got Northwestern's quarterback Clayton Thorson, who's having a hell of a year. He's playing really really well, going up against a suspect Badger defense, as particularly the uh, the pass rush and and the and the, and the coverage. But yeah, as it relates to Jack Cohn potentially starting as the quarterback, I I guess. My feeling is, is, is if we can control the line of scrimmage, we'll be okay. But man, this is not this is not the time you want to be without your starting quarterback. You never do, but my goodness, it's it, it kind of popped up on a nowhere. And and we can be assured of one thing: that is, if Alex Hornibrook isn't one hundred percent regarding concussion protocol, he's not going to go in. Right. Uh, Christ will not play with that at all. So, yeah, I would not be shocked at all now to see Jack Cohen get in there. Well, I think that's exactly what we're going to see based on the reports coming out of Madison. And and all indications are that Jack Cohn will get the start and the bulk of – well, if he gets a start, he's going to get the yeah. bulk of the snaps. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit redundant. I think it's time. I think it's – you know, I watched again that game last week Saturday against Illinois. Mm-hmm. And if it weren't for the fact that Illinois could not hold on to the football, especially during – that, well, we'll say, what was that, about end of the first quarter into the early second when Mother Nature decided to open up and give us an early look at Christmas, right? which I, it played havoc, and Illinois just couldn't figure out how to hold on to the football. I, I, I'm, I'm ready for a little bit of a change just to see, and I think Northwestern might be the spot only because, yes, I know the history. We're awful. We're awful <laughs> at Northwestern. We just are. Northwestern mm-hmm. finds a way, especially at home at Ryan Field, right. to to wreak havoc on us. Even even years when we were almost guaranteed a run at the Rose Bowl, mm-hmm. when the Rose Bowl was outside of the Big Ten Championship, when that game didn't exist, Northwestern could have been the most awful team in the Big Ten, and they just found a way to beat Wisconsin. It became their bowl game, so to speak, down there at their home turf. But Northwestern, something's not right with Northwestern this year. Even though their record is what it is, and they're they're a top um, along with Purdue and Wisconsin on the Western side, there's something not clicking with Northwestern as evident to me by how they played against Rutgers. I mean, Rutgers, Whitewater can beat Rutgers. (laughs) And I know we talked about the fact that head coach Kevin Bullis will be joining us at the top of the next hour. We'll ask him that question right away. Whitewater can beat Rutgers, and yet Rutgers almost got their first victory of the season in the Big Ten against Northwestern at home. Northwestern needed everything it could muster up to squeak out a road victory, and it's always difficult to win on the road 
the, the they've had games. But Rutgers? But yeah. <laughs> Rutgers, they've had games where they just seem to fall apart, where they play a half, and then they just kind of disappear. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how life was with Rutgers. And, and they allowed Rutgers to stay in the game. And anytime any any college team, and you hear it at any level, you, you let somebody hang around, yep. they run the risk of, of knocking you out. And that's almost what happened. So I, I guess I'm not feeling as nervous with a backup quarterback leading the Badgers going into a game like we've got coming up on Saturday. To me, you answered your own question, though, and that is if we let a team hang around, the Badgers have a way of letting them back in, and I think that's what Northwestern's going to do, and I think that's what concerns me. Northwestern isn't without talent. They, they can they can play football, and, yeah, they're having a weird year. They're having a hard time putting things together, but look how close they are to being a, a one-loss team and almost an undefeated team. You know, they should, You could argue they should have beat Michigan. You know they came. They they were they were competitive against Ohio State. But I, I don't mean to interrupt you, Dan. Yeah, no. But that's what I'm going with yeah. as far as Northwestern. They had they had Michigan. Right. They had Michigan. Michigan would not be in the situation they are in had Northwestern figured out a way to finish it. But that's what I'm getting at as far as Northwestern not being right this year. It's like they just they do something well for six, seven, eight minutes, and then they go and hide or they rest or. Whatever it is, they just collapse for a quarter or two and then kind of come back into it, but then it's too late. Well, you just described the Badgers, too. That There's there's some similarities right there in terms of what you see in I'm trying teams. to be optimistic, <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it real, man. Uh, yeah, I just, look, it's I think that these are, are two even, evenly matched teams, but in different ways. Yeah. Where Wisconsin's going to grind and pound, you know, and and run Taiwan Deal, and they're going to run obviously Jonathan Taylor and do their thing. And obviously, if they have a second string quarterback in, they're really going to focus on that option. Um, what Northwestern is going to do is they're going to they're going to dunk and dink, and they're going to let their quarterback kind of rule the play on the on the other end of the football. And in both cases, both of their strengths are going up against the weaknesses of the other team. So the question is: Is can we, can Wisconsin have the ability to maintain control, maintain possession, maintain time, compared to uh, a, an offense that, while not always clicking on the right cylinder, has shown again and again that they can score when they need to, and was and, and Northwestern has done that. Again, I, I think Thorson's a good quarterback. I think he has the ability to stay with the team. And to your point, Don. It's Northwestern and it's Wisconsin and oh God, here we go again and, yep. and no one feels good about this. No, you always go into a Northwestern game with with some butterflies and a, a bit of trepidation because it just seems to be um, not necessarily so much at home, even though Northwestern has a way to make life interesting when they're playing at Camp Randall. Mm-hmm. It's just when Northwestern's at home. Let's cover more. And, and preview that Northwestern game a little bit later in this hour. But let's take a second step back and look at the game against Illinois. What was your feeling coming out of that game? Because, again, I, you know, you watch the Badgers and you look at the score, and yet it didn't feel like that score. Even though they had two guys rush for over 100 yards right. in deal, and and of course, um, I quit. Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> talk talk about just brain lapsing right there. Taylor and Deal, thank you. Going over a hundred <laughs> yards. Um, 
it just it just didn't feel like the domination that the final score made it out to be is what I'm trying to spit out here. And again, I, that that portion of it is why I think it's going to be okay to have a little bit of a change. I just want to see what the quarterback situation can be like with someone else under center to see if the dynamic, the staleness yeah, of what the offense is, can it improve? And before you get to that, when did Lovey Smith become Dan Haggerty? <laughs> he all of a sudden popped yeah. up on the sideline. Mm-hmm. I was thinking we're doing a Grizzly Adams right. remake. Yeah. What? Where, where did that look come from? That to me, that's the look of oh god, I've only got a year left. Okay. <laughs> all right. I, I, it, I was kind of thinking the same thing. I thought maybe he was trying to go biblical on yeah. us and make something happen at that. Well, immediate, we had biblical weather that night. That yeah, that's, that's sure. true. At that immediate portion of the game, but. All right, so real quick, Dan, give me yeah. your take as to what we saw last week against Illinois. I, we saw. I mean, I, I don't mean to be coy about this, but we saw we saw the Badgers that we've seen all year. We've seen a team that can put it together uh, at certain stretches, and teams, that, and then a team that can look completely unimpressive. You know, I'm with you on the score. Forty nine to twenty is a great score, except I guess my issue is that again, you look for a little bit more continuity and consistency out of everybody when you're playing a team like Illinois. Illinois is horrible. And you want a potential Big Ten championship contending team to just be, be able to take care of business. Now, in fairness, we got to turn it around. You know, Illinois was able to gash us a couple times, but at the same time, look at all the turnovers that Wisconsin caused. Yes. I, that's You can't ignore that. So, I don't. The defense had a productive game. They they gave up a little too much. You don't want to see it. Everybody wants to see everybody, you know the team walk out of forty nine to three or forty nine to zero. That's not that's not realistic and, anymore. And but let's face it. Going into this game, and we, and we discussed it last week, and had people on you know who cover Illinois football. The fact of the matter is that team can run the football. Yeah, Illinois has a very effective running game, and it showed. Mm-hmm. It absolutely showed. But to your point, I have to, again, agree. And with the fact that Leonard now is putting those young those young guys in position to make plays. I don't think those young guys are looking around as much as they did two, three, four weeks ago. Yeah, I agree. They seem to be more comfortable in what the scheme is. Mm-hmm. Now, it's one thing to be comfortable in the scheme and to make the play – but at least it's one element of the problematic situation removed. In other words, I'm not looking around. Am I in the right spot? Should I be here? Should I be there? And overthink something, and then all of a sudden the ball gets snapped, and I've got to react. Mm-hmm. Now at least I know I'm in the right spot. Now I can just react to the football, and I've got to make the play. And I think that has allowed the Badgers defensively to look better as the last couple of games have come into fruition. We know Michigan scored a lot of points. But like we talked about, the offense put that defense in some ugly positions, yeah. and I don't know how many defenses could have risen to the challenge if you had juniors and seniors dominating your starting 11 out there. Mm-hmm. That was just being put in a bad situation. And I think what we saw last week against Illinois, yes, they are a very good running team, and yes, they got gashed a couple of times, but that defense is gaining confidence as the weeks go on, and that – hopefully helps as we make our way maybe to a Big Ten championship game in Indianapolis. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you that the that the defense is gaining confidence. I also think it's getting healthier again. It's getting some guys back that it didn't have. Um, I think, again, the, the 
the personality of this defense is going to be. It's going to get gashed. But look at they they cause turnovers at at Michigan. They cause turnovers against Illinois. I think they're going to do it again this week with Northwestern. You're going to see a couple happen. I think this this team, this defense now, um, because it's so young, is going to be predicated upon the big play, and it's going to take a year or two to get seasoned in order for them to kind of stay consistent and be what you know we became spoiled with last year, which was just an outstanding defense. I look at I look at last week's game, and I you know it's I'm a broken record on this one. When you're playing Illinois, um, I just I just think you should be able to complete more than 13 passes. I, I do. I just think that there's 13 for 22 is still more than 50. percent You know, okay, I can do my math. I've got that. But I mean, they, I mean, and then we we still had that moment of near the end of the first half, drop back and basically hand it to the guy through you know through a pass. It just didn't make any sense that Illinois was able to turn around and to their credit, they got three points at the end of the half, and we were trying to close out the half. And and potentially going for a touchdown for a field goal of our own. That it just those things are what drive me nuts. And watching that second quarter to me was a microcosm of what this whole season has been, based on what you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. There's one moment that well, obviously the running game is is been effective and it's been effective right. all season long. Jonathan Taylor, 159 yards on 27 carries. Taiwan Deal, 111 yards on 12 carries. And by the way, can I jump in just for a minute? Yeah, go. I think I think. <laughs> We're not appreciating Taiwan Deal as much as we should. I think no. that I think he is underrated as a Big Ten running back. He is finally healthy, and when we're not, Jonathan Taylor is a great running back, but I think Taiwan Deal brings pain. He runs he runs to run over people. He's got he's got a burst. He's not going to run as fast as Jonathan Taylor over the course of a hundred yards, but. Boy, you've got to be nervous about both of them. And you'll hear his teammates talk about he's running with anger. Mm-hmm. He's running with anger because. As you just alluded to, he's finally healthy. He's over the injuries, at least to this point in the season. And this is his last shot. Yeah. This is his senior season. So he's got to make everything count. And he provides that that perfect yin and yang kind of a thing, that little mix up in the backfield, kind of like Garrett Groshek does as yeah. well. Yeah. Garrett with four carries and 33 yards. There, that's a great combination with three pretty distinctive styles of running mm-hmm. and because of it it can put defenses as we've seen on their heels but I have to agree with you I don't think Taiwan deal has gotten a, the respect notoriety and adulation necessarily from the Wisconsin faithful that he should but going back to what I was saying it was that second quarter where we saw Alex Hornerbrook throw a touchdown pass throw an interception we saw a defense that was able to stop and a defense that was yeah. gash for 80 yards mm-hmm. it it just watching that second quarter all I kept thinking is that this is exactly what you were saying before this is Wisconsin this is what they do they look great one second and they're absolutely maddening the next second and it was all encapsulated in that one quarter being the second quarter yeah this is Warner Brothers Wisconsin would be two-faced you know it just it's <laughs> you get you get both sides of this this thing and it drives you a little bit crazy look I think we we've talked about this too. We've walked into the season thinking, expecting too much from this team. Uh, there's still there's still a two loss team, which is both um, frustrating, but at the same time, there are a lot of teams in the U.S. that would love to be sitting at two losses. I just I just think right now that this is this is going to have to be a growth year, and and I think these games against Northwestern and Purdue is going to tell you is going to tell us exactly what we have with the Badgers now and and what we can look to and and. 
There we go. Purdue just gave everybody hope that they can get into the Big Ten championship game and suddenly stun Ohio State, which ain't going to happen. But, you know, it's college football. It's fun. So as we alluded to at the start of today's show, the Wisconsin Radio Network and then followed up by Jeff Patrikas at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel is stating that Alex Hornerbrook is in concussion protocol. And it doesn't appear, at least as of right now, as of Thursday evening, that he will be playing this Saturday against Northwestern as Jack Cohn, the sophomore backup, has gotten the majority of the work as they prepare for the Wildcats against Northwestern. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about after the break is we'll take a look once again at how Northwestern and the Badgers will match up Saturday, 11 a.m. at Ryan Stadium down in Illinois, and we'll cover it next. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Under my house for the funky cold Medina. You know what I'm saying? I got every dog in my neighborhood breaking down my door. I got spuds, Alex. Yeah, welcome back in. College Football Show here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Don Wachillis alongside the Polish pipe bomb, Jeff Orlowski, on the other side of the table, making everything run smoothly, along with the professor, Dan Underberg. Dan, before we get into previewing this Northwestern-Wisconsin matchup, I know you got something coming oh. up at Concordia yeah. that I think needs to uh, get out there because if anybody is interested, I think this is just an unbelievable opportunity. Go ahead. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we've got an event coming up on Thursday, November 1st from 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock p.m. Um, and if you have a high school student or someone that's just kind of in transition, they said, man, I'd really love to work in sports. Or maybe they're thinking about hospitality or something like that. Um, a lot of times, Don, when people think about working in sports, they think coach, they think GM, and yeah. that's it. But we. Yep. We lose sight that this is a multi-billion-dollar international industry that that has revenues in the trillions. So what we do is uh, every year we have the uh, CUW, the 2018 CUW Sport and Hospitality Networking Roundtable. Uh, that is presented by our sponsors, Marcus Hotels and Resorts, and and they are wonderful wonderful to us this year. And what it is, it's an opportunity to actually come in and sit down and talk to people that work in sports at your own pace. There's there's no timer. There's no, um, there's no expectation. Uh, it's not a job fair per se. Some might have, uh, might, might be looking for people in jobs. They might be looking for interviews, uh, for for um, internships or things like that. But it's really an opportunity to see the different sides of sport that aren't everything that you see on TV. So we have 52 organizations that are going to be there, and and how often do you get the Packers, the Bucks, the Brewers, the Badgers, Aaron Hills? Um, Summerfest, organizations like that, in the same room at the same time, they're just to talk to people and and have an opportunity to share what it is, what they do, and how they got there. And that's exactly what they're doing. It's not an autograph session. You're not going to get any pictures or anything like that. But it's just a way to see, how do I break in? How do I do this? How can I do what you did to get to where you are kind of a thing? Sure. So, yeah, it's 5 to 8 p.m., uh, perfect for college students, perfect for for high school students that are considering sport as a career um and all you need to do is is register it's free this is a completely free event tell them how to register and you do that www.cuw.edu forward slash sh roundtable that number again go www.cuw.edu forward slash sh roundtable or i'll 
prop this up just a little bit, just follow me at Dan Underberg on Twitter. And I'm posting stuff on that all the time, and you can message me or something like that. I can give, get you some information on that. And I think that's the one underlying thing that people miss out on, as you said, when when you look at the sporting industry and people who want to get into the field. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes you think of GM, you know, some of the yeah, higher profile yeah. type things mm-hmm. that you don't think of some of the other things that occur in and around in an organization right. that can still keep you connected with sport. I mean, I think. For many people, you know, you you grow up in the backyard, you grow up on the playground, and you know, be a quarterback, it's, and yeah, it's, yeah, I'm gonna be yep. quarterback. It's Game Seven of the World mm-hmm. Series, and I hit the home run, and then you 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 reach that point where you realize, yeah, it ain't gonna happen. Yeah, that was fifth grade for me, <laughs> <laughs> but you still want to be affiliated with maybe your favorite team or your favorite sport, and you still want that connection. And I think people need to realize that there are a number of professions out there that will keep you connected, so to speak. And and then you really you're not going to work as you get older. You you've got your job, but you're doing something that you really love, connected with something that you love, and that can make all the difference in the world. Yeah, and I think about like what we're doing here. It, if if you've ever thought about what it's like to be on the radio, or if you thought about you know what it's like to break into media or do those things, but you don't know how. So right. it's your opportunity to ask, and hey, did you know that if you come into a radio, you know, a station, and you have got a great idea, and what do you think? That could potentially lead to, you know, a, a show from eight to ten p.m. on a Thursday night that that you get to do weekly and you get to have fun with. Way you just never to give know. the secret away, Dan. Hey, well, nice job. You know, just so come on in. There's no um, Batman in your uh, yeah. <laughs> in your background there, is there, huh? Just gave the Batcave ride yeah, up for well, everybody to drive yeah, into. Yeah, shut up, Bruce. So- <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get back to football. And, I, and a little bit later on, we're going to give that website out again okay. because I think it's worth uh, anybody out there, as you said, Dan, that could be interested And in, I think what you do there – and what Concordia does as far as opening up and allowing people to network. And I think that's the one thing sometimes that people don't harp on enough. It's that networking. It's those connections. It might not be that particular person, but that particular person could lead to mm-hmm. person B, C, and D, and that that ends up being that's the important we teach part. Them. All right, let's look ahead here as Wisconsin will take on Northwestern. For us, meaning Wisconsin, not you notice how we always say that for us, us like right. you know, mm-hmm. we've we've had so much to do with the planning and the preparation. <laughs> but anyway, for Wisconsin coming into this week, obviously with the fact that Hornerbrook may not play, being in the concussion protocol, it's gotta start once again with the running game with Jonathan Taylor, Taiwan Deal. I think based on the way Northwestern has played. Not only can both of those guys have a big game once again, that can take all the pressure off of the backup quarterback. And if it can take all the pressure off of somebody like Jack Cohn and you can control time of possession, now you're given the defense rest that didn't happen against Michigan. Right. I think right. all of the things that you can do well, it bodes well going up against Northwestern other than the fact that strange things happen at Ryan Stadium. <laughs> it's it's stranger things on a football field, but yeah, it's um the the Wildcats are ranked right now 49th against the run, 75th against the pass, okay? So you look at those stats and you got to ask yourself, well, how have they been able to stay so close to some of these teams and and and, and make it a football game? 
Uh, but if you look at that, if they're 49th against the run, Wisconsin should be able to dominate the line of scrimmage. They should be able to push through. My concern, as it has been all year, is, is what boneheaded mistake are we going to make? Are we going to throw an interception? Are we going to put the ball on the ground? And is that going to keep Northwestern in? Because your point, strange things happen when, when these two, two things play. Um, I think we, I think Wisconsin has this ability now. I, I can't imagine a time where their running game is running more efficiently than they are right now between JT and, and, and Taiwan Deal. So my feeling is is if they can just if they can just be Wisconsin, you know, if they can just push through and manage the line of scrimmage and not find themselves caught behind subtly and unexpectedly, that they can win this game. If they if they can just manage themselves. And if and if they can not only manage themselves, but get that offensive line blocking the way they're capable of. I mean, this this is one of the premier offensive lines in the country, and yet at times they just haven't looked in sync. There's a lot about with the Badgers so far this season where things haven't looked in sync. Like, the entire team has yet to really click. The defense mm-hmm. is starting to get there. The offense has it in spurts. But I don't think you've seen this team as a team on both sides of the ball just click. And I look at the fact that, I, boy, I hope I'm saying his name. Is it Ozigabo? Yeah. The, the kid from mm-hmm. Nebraska, mm-hmm. Ozigabo? I mean, he thrashed Northwestern. And Northwestern had to come from behind. That was another come from behind win against a Nebraska team that really isn't very good. I mean, they did get their first win this past week against Minnesota. And they've got a tough matchup this week against Bethune Cookman. <laughs> he says sarcastically. <laughs> um, but Nebraska just—they're it, it, still searching for an identity under Frost and and all of the turmoil and the change that's going on in Nebraska. And yet Nebraska was able to run all over Northwestern. And again, that—that's a team that isn't nearly as well equipped and as efficient as the Badgers. And that's why I just think we should be able to run the ball all day long at Ryan stadium. Yeah. Well, we, we can't forget that Northwestern or sorry, we can't forget that Nebraska has an incredible offense. They've, they've been running up numbers all year against other teams. I mean, they've, they've just haven't been able to keep other teams out of the end zone. Um, yeah. I, I think when going back to your offensive line coming for a minute, when we talk about, you know, they haven't found their stride. I, my issue with Wisconsin's offensive line has never been with the run blocking. When you've got a team that's running the way Wisconsin is, other teams are putting nine in the box. Occasionally you're not going to win any of your battle. But where they look completely disjointed still is when they're in the pass blocking schemes. Yes. They, and that's that's where I look at that, and I think to myself, you know, all this praise that they've received nationally for being this this preeminent offensive line, I think they're, they're a preeminent offensive running game, I think is what they are. Because when you when you compare that to and you 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 stat it out and you look at what they do in, in their pass blocking efficiency, it ain't that good. But do you wonder how many times the the numbers as far as the efficiency goes, pass blocking wise, is 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 such because of the way Hornerbrook gets himself into trouble once in a while. Now I I realize there there are times Hornerbrook he he's planting his his back foot on his third step and a three-step drop mm-hmm. and he's already ducking somebody right. somebody has right. found a gap and they're coming after him but then there's also the times when Hornerbrook will take a five or a seven step drop and he's patting the ball mm-hmm. and he's looking and he's looking and he's looking 
and I almost equate it to now what we see sometimes with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers can hold on to the football a little bit too long, trying to work somebody downfield to get open. Here's what I'm hoping that we see, and I'm hoping that this will not only get rhythm for the quarterback, but it could get rhythm for the offensive line, and that's that three-step, five, seven-yard out, in, seam route, whatever it is, whatever that slant might be, whatever that out route might be, whatever that quick screen might be, that you could get not only your backup quarterback and Jack Cohn in rhythm, but you get your offensive line in rhythm. And I think that offensive line, they get in rhythm when they can run block. Mm -hmm. They feel confident. They're successful. They need some confidence in that pass game. And maybe with the fact that Cohn being back there, that maybe Chris will dial some things back and only allow him to throw those five- and seven-yard pass routes, maybe that then builds confidence for that offensive line, and maybe then we see a complete game on both sides of the football. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the optimism. Yeah, you, Way to go, Dan. No, I think, I, I think you're right. I think, I think what they want to do is they want to put Jack Cohen in a confident place, obviously. So it, I, and it's going to start with the running game and and those short out passes, those short slants that you're talking about, are going to be absolutely crucial to doing that. And I think, as much as the offensive line needs to find a rhythm, I think it's it's a place where Jack Cohn needs to find a rhythm, a basic rhythm. Let's call it that. Not not near Aaron Rodgers' rhythm by any means, but a place where the, he feels comfortable and confident in making a throw. So I think it'll be fun to watch how the offensive line and how the coaching staff responds to like a third of five and third and six and how they're going to go and what they're going to ask Jack Cohn to do. All right, let's keep talking about this upcoming Badger Northwestern game. Let's do it after the break. And after the break, let's get Orlowski into the mix. He's working too hard over there. we got to get him <laughs> chatting. We'll do it all coming back after this commercial timeout. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Brass Monkey! Once again, welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Don Wachillis alongside the Polish Bite Bomb, Jeff Orlowski, and the Professor Dan Underberg as we're taking a peek ahead at what will be a very interesting matchup this Saturday between Wisconsin and Northwestern. Wisconsin, Northwestern, Purdue, all in the hunt for the Big Ten West and an opportunity. And I guess really can't sleep on Iowa. I think no. I think I'm sleeping on Iowa simply because we beat them. But if we lose to a Purdue or we lose yep. to a Northwestern, Iowa's right back into the mix. And they're really playing some good football right now. Iowa's one of those teams that they're quietly just kind of making their way. After, after the loss, obviously, to Wisconsin on that Saturday night, Iowa's found a way to just be consistent, and they're consistent offensively, defensively, special teams, and they're just quietly making – they're kind of a silent threat here in the West. And and right now, the way they're playing, I'm glad the Badgers played them when they did because I don't know if the outcome would be quite the same or we'd be in the mix right. the way we were at the end of that game. You know, Northwestern, the part, Jeff – Let's bring you into the, into the fold here. The part, I guess, that's going to scare me a bit defensively is going to be with our secondary. The fact that Clayton Thorson has has played not to the level of maybe one of the stars of college football as far as quarterbacks go, but he's been a whole lot more efficient than what we've had 
for our own home guys in Madison. And I think if anything, the part that scares me is you've got some really, really young guys at the corner, a decent and efficient quarterback at the helm for Northwestern. And that could be the area where Northwestern either keeps themselves in the game or dare we say it may even come out with a victory based on their, on their pay on their play from the passing game. Yep. You're a hundred percent right. And it makes me nervous when, uh, don't get a big head about this. Uh, I'll probably never say that again, but, uh, you know, when, uh, the defensive coordinator, Jim Leonard comes out and says next man up, you know, cliche, 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 let's keep this going. You get an opportunity. It's your time to shine. And anytime, you know, they start talking in serious coach speak like that, you kind of think that you're in for a little bit of trouble. You know, it, it, who could have seen this coming? You know, the Badgers had a couple guys uh, from the secondary leave the program. Sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, who would have thought that, uh, (laughs) you know, now all of a sudden we're short and uh, grasping at straws, trying to find guys to cover some decent receivers and a decent, you know, with a decent quarterback delivering the ball. You know, it's uh, it's all coming to roost now. You know, yeah, it does. It it tends to come full circle, no matter no matter what the game is or or what area you're speaking of. Again, Dan, I go back to the scheme at least that Leonard seems to be implementing, and I don't. You know, obviously, we're not there. We we don't see what's being put on the whiteboard, so to speak. So I don't know if necessarily Leonard has scaled it down, or the kids have just grasped it at a higher level. But whatever the case may be, they seem more comfortable. And when they seem more comfortable, there's no doubt these kids are athletic. There's no doubt in their Mm -hmm. athleticism. It's a matter of mixing the athleticism and putting them in the right spot and all of those factors that come into the play. It just seems like Leonard, once again, is is back in control of it. And hopefully we see that again on Saturday where the corners can just let their athleticism go and they're not being confused with guys going in motion – or following the slot, or whatever the case may be, that they can just let their athleticism shine and make some plays. You know, I I think that this is more an issue of young athletes picking up on the nuances of the defensive system, and Jim Leonard kind of fighting through some rough times a little bit and just kind of sticking with the plan is my personal thing. I I totally agree with you that this this is a backfield that has athletic ability. What runs into the issue every now and again and unfortunately, it also happens with our young cornerbacks up at the Green Bay, which is we're used to our athletic ability, but technique is lacking when they made the jump from high school to college. And so you get a lot of these you know, illegal hands, you get the holds, you get pass interference penalties when you really don't need them. And, and if that is kind of what concerns me about this game, again, going back to Clayton Thorson, which is I think he may be able to get and rattle these young cornerbacks to a point where they start making some bad decisions or – they go back into the bad habits of I'm fast, I can handle this. It's not about being fast anymore. Okay, you've made the next jump up to big time college football, and now it's technique and putting your getting your feet in the right position, getting your hips in the right position, just like it is in pros. Now you got to move around again and 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 take the next step up. So, I I hope that what we're seeing is a is a secondary that has started to pick up on on some of the basics of the system and over the course of the next few games that they can pick up on the nuances and, and continue to be competitive because, man, if, if they can't, done, then, yeah, Northwestern, Northwestern is scary. Purdue is scary. It could be a real challenge. So as we said, coming up on Saturday, it's the first of, I guess, what we'll call 
the elimination series for the Badgers. They're going to have to jump another Big Ten opponent in their division, in this case the Big Ten West, tied up on the top. So you've got to take care of business against Northwestern. You then obviously have to take care of whoever else is on your schedule. But then after Northwestern, the big test right now will be Purdue. We'll talk a little bit later in tonight's show about some of the games that took place in the Big Ten. I just thought the Big Ten last weekend was as exciting as I've seen with regards to different games within the conference. The Mm -hmm. Michigan-Michigan State game, which we'll get to. Ohio State being upset by Purdue. There was just a lot of good football going on within the Big Ten. We'll cover it later in the show. But when we come back after the break, I want to pose this question to you, gentlemen. It was something that I guess out of frustration once again with the way things have evolved offensively sometimes in Madison, and that's with Jonathan Taylor. Does Jonathan Taylor begin to contemplate whether or not he'll return next year for his junior season based on the fact that you're looking at Alex Hornerbrook being your quarterback for one more year and the fact that at least so far this season – Alex Hornerbrook has not made the jump that I think a lot of us thought he would make. Does Jonathan Taylor now start to contemplate whether or not it's time for him to go pro before he ends up in a situation where they keep putting nine in the box and he could get himself injured? And we'll debate it next. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. She said, baby, let's go. When I told her, I said, Welcome back in. College football show right here on The Fan. Don't forget, always 105.7 FM, 1250 on the AM dial, or as all part of the Radio.com app, you can hear us each and every Thursday from 8 to 10. All right, so gentlemen, I I put this out there before the break, and and there has to be a a tiny bit of clarification because obviously – knowing the rules as as well as I do, <laughs> um, you have to be three years removed from high school in order to go to the pros. Now, we saw what Bosa did this year, even though it, it, it started with an injury, but Bosa re, you know, retreating from school saying, listen, I'm just going to heal and completely focus all of my time and energy on getting myself ready for the draft in 2019. So, My question is, knowing what Jonathan Taylor may know going into next season, again, I hate hate going after somebody like Alex Hornibrook because, in essence, for me, he's still a kid. And he's obviously doing the best he can, but right now, as far as leading this team the way we thought, it just, in my opinion, isn't working the way I thought it would him going into his junior year. Do we see somebody like Jonathan Taylor pull what we'll call now a Bosa? We'll make Bosa what a, a verb, an adjective, something He'll like that. Bosa it, okay. He'll Bosa it, and do do you foresee potentially somebody getting into Jonathan Taylor's ear and saying, "Listen, relax. This ain't going to get any better. I don't think you're going to get a Heisman Trophy out of this. So why not take the year off, give yourself an opportunity to go into the April of 2020 draft fresh." And, and be a high-round draft because, obviously, the footage is there. There's no one going to doubt what this kid can do on the football field. He's got enough film. It, it just – I don't know why it came to me, and I don't know what made me think about it, but it began to, like, creep into the back of my mind, like, could we see Taylor go? 
Dan, what do you think? I don't think I don't think he does it. I mean, okay. if he was given that opportunity, I don't think he does it. Now, I do do I say and think he would complete four years? No, I don't think so. I I think Jonathan Taylor has proven to be a really smart kid. He's got a decent major at UW. He had an opportunity to play at Harvard, um, and I think I think this is a kid that can assess the situation and figure it out. Um, I look at kind of the subtler things, like they're trying to help him build his ability out of the backfield, which I think a lot of pro teams are going to be looking for. And and he has definitely gotten better in terms of a pass catcher, but I don't know if he's there yet. And, I yeah, as it relates to Alex Hornibrook a little bit, is is he firing a football the way a pro quarterback would fire a football and get, get that ready? How is Jonathan Taylor blocking, you know, and picking up a blitz and, and those types of things? At the end of the day, when it, I think it's going to come down, come down to year three or year four. Do I do I come out early, or or do I do I stay for that fourth year? I think when you're that good, kind of using kind of Bosa as a verb again. If you want to Bosa, and you're looking at the opportunity where you know you're going to be a first round draft pick, and you you risk injury, you risk tweaking a knee, you risk tweaking a hip or an ankle, right? Uh, a concussion. I think at that point now maybe you, you he looks at it and says there's too much on the table for me to lose. And I'm gonna forego my senior senior my senior season and get into the draft. And you know what? If he chooses to do that, I don't blame him. Jeff, one of the first times I kind of was thinking out loud with this, I had someone argue back, so to speak, um, that the running game that you would want to stay in college because of the running game in the NFL. And and the more even I thought about that argument, you know, when you think of the girlies and the and the Le'Veon Bells of the world, even though I know he's sitting out in order to keep his legs healthy for his next big contract, the pro teams who can find some sort of balance with the passing and running game, whether it's 65-35, somewhere in that range, you still need a running game to keep the defense on its heels a bit, and running backs are still important at the pro level, even though we've spread the field out and we've got guys in the slot and we're running, you know, we don't run trips left or trips right. Now we're running quads left and quads right and diamond formations and all of those things. But it's still, the running back is still a prevalent component of any NFL team. I still think that, Dan, I I, I hear what you're saying and, and I agree. I, I'm not trying to run Jonathan Taylor out, but the kid has still got an opportunity to play at the next level and make a boatload of money. Yeah, I worry about you, Don, because I was thinking the same thing uh, uh -oh. earlier today, and if <laughs> you're starting to think like me, you're in trouble. Yeah, right? Good night, everybody. <laughs> but I, I will tell you this, um, and if I was Jonathan Taylor, if Wisconsin loses to Northwestern, I would Bosa it next week. Really? The only problem that he would have is that all those fumbles that he has yeah, are right. on tape. Yeah. If he didn't th uh, put the ball on the carpet as much as he did and he just had those fantastic 200-plus yard games and all that great film, then, you know, he would have nothing to worry about. The only That's my only concern for him. His future's set. He's, you know, uh, basically first, second round, uh, you know, right. pick. Whenever, uh, when he can come out, but I, I would boast it as quick as possible. Yeah, it, and I guess the fumble aspect of 
his career to this point is going to be the one detriment that he has. I don't think anybody can question his power, his agility, his speed. I think that's all there, his ability to read a zone block and hit the hole. And zone blocking seems to be, you know, the craze even at the pro level. Mm -hmm. So he's got all of that, Dan. It's just putting the football on the turf that is the one check mark. If you had a column of all the positives of Jonathan Taylor, what's sitting on the right hand side is that one check mark as far as turnovers and fumbles. Go. Yeah, but when's the last time he's put it on the ground though? I'm, it's, it's been it's a been couple a while, weeks. Yeah, you know, a couple it's, weeks. It's, he, yeah, he's. You, you kind of hope that he's starting to figure some things out and keep the ball closer to the body and 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 do those things. Um, I kind of think that the other thing that I like about Jonathan Taylor is, in terms of being pro ready. Is that okay? Someone's going to go. Someone's going to say, "Yeah, but look at the offensive line he's got." Okay, fair enough. He's got a great offensive line in front of him that can run block, but he's facing defenses that are going nine, eight, nine in the box all the time. And let's you know? face it. Okay, and, so and what? how many times has he broken a tackle? We've seen right. him do that. So and, and his offensive line is good. And and what? And right. you know right. what I mean? It's like when you get to the pro level, most of your offensive lines are good. Now, you might argue they don't pass block maybe as well as they run block. There's deficiencies. I get it. But when you get to that next level, you're going to be playing with a much different level of talent across the board, both offensively and defensively. I get it. But so what if your offensive line just diminishes the skill that he has when people simply say, your offensive line is too it's, it's kind of fun just to think for a minute what he would be like in his own blocking scheme, the way he can cut. Oh yeah, just 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 to think, just to kind of envision that for a little bit. But well, when Ezekiel Elliott signs his next huge contract, it's not going to say you know uh, four four years, forty eight million asterisk. You had a fantastic offensive line. <laughs> it's just going to be a bunch of zeros. The check is what the check is. Hello. There you go. All right, time to take another break. When we come back after the top of the hour, we're going to jump to the Great Midwest Bank Hotline and talk to the head coach at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, ranked number five this week nationally at the D3 level. Head coach Kevin Bullis will join us, and we'll talk to him next. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM. The fan is we head over to Division Three and take a look at some of the games and highlights of this past weekend and what is forthcoming as the schedule. Dan, it's crazy. You know, you think about when we started back up again in first week of September, you kind of look at the schedule and you, you're, you're forecasting ahead and looking ahead and looking ahead. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, wait a minute here. We only got a couple of weeks right. left mm -hmm. at the division three level before we start talking about the playoffs and life is starting to get a little bit interesting with regards to division three football here in the state of Wisconsin. First of all, shout out to uh, you, your spot there at Concordia university of Mequon. Six and one, yeah, making yeah. making some noise right now at the Division three level, and I think right now with the potential of winning that conference, you could see once again three teams from the state of Wisconsin enter the Division three tournament in a few weeks. Now, obviously, things have to play out in a, in a certain way, mm -hmm, right? But you you're looking at the potential of Concordia winning their conference, which would give them an automatic bid. You're looking right now at Whitewater in control of the WEAC and will be 
hopefully talking with head coach Kevin Bullis here shortly as Jeff is efforting that for us right now. Oshkosh still continuing to win, sitting at 5-2, ranked number 10 nationally. So you're looking at three potential berths into the Division Three playoff series, and that's what makes, to me, Division Three fun. I don't know if I want to see Division One amp it up to, you know, 16 teams, right. 32 right. teams, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. There's just something different about Division Three that you can have the number of teams that they do because of the length of the season and it all gets funneled down. It just, I guess it lends itself better than maybe what we see at the Division One level because of the length of schedule that we see at the sure. Division One level. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, again, three teams potentially making their way, that, that could be good stuff. Yeah, I think so too. I think the thing with D3 football is that it just it feels a little more pure, if, if that's the best way to put it, where um, you're going to have you're going to have a more uh, honest tournament to find out who the best football team really is. And over the course of D3, we've seen a couple teams dominate over the course of that. I've got to put Oshkosh in there. They played really well. My, again, I, I hope that when that committee gets together, they realize who Oshkosh played, particularly playing a D2 team in Michigan, and that does not count against them when they're trying to get into this particular tournament because – Oshkosh deserves to be there. They're a good football team. They're really starting to uh, to find their their pace a little bit, and I think looking forward, it would be great if we could see a Concordia Whitewater Oshkosh Titans move moving forward. I just don't think that I'm concerned that we're going to find more than more than two teams in our tournament. I think it's probably just going to be if Concordia can stay the pace. I think moving forward, it's going to be probably probably going to be Concordia and then Whitewater. Yeah, and Whitewater with another impressive win, 44-7 to over River Falls. And as we continue to effort, and it might be into the next segment now that we get to talk to head coach Kevin Bullis. And, Dan, you, you've been on top of this since we've been following Division Three here at the start of this 2018 season. Defensively, this Whitewater program is unbelievable. I mean, they're giving up just over four points a game on mm-hmm. average. When you're doing that, when you're giving up just just north of a field goal every game, right? You, you know you got yourself a program that's really special. Well, River Falls scored. I mean, that's that's news right there. They that scored is. a touchdown. That is. And I wonder. I, I haven't had the chance to look at the stats. I wonder if that's an offensive touchdown or someone just picked up a ball by accident and ran <laughs> into the end zone. Um, because I'm more expecting of that than I am that the Warhawk defense is going to give up a score. They, they've just been so good. And I think that's as good as their offense is, Don, as, as the way they're humming along right now, it's the defense that's going to push them deep into the playoffs. Yeah. They're, they're so good at it right now. It was an offensive score. So Whitewater's streak, their shutout streak, was snapped at 193 minutes and 55 seconds. That's how detailed people were looking into the defensive <laughs> prowess of Whitewater is the fact that they had it down to the minute and second of how long they've been able to keep people out of the end zone. Some other games from last week, as we said, the news, River Falls scored, but they still <laughs> lost 44-7 to to Whitewater. Oshkosh, they're back at it. They're back at mm-hmm. it. They're starting yep. to click. 24-13, a win. Lacrosse visiting Oshkosh. Lacrosse hung around a little bit, but again, this is what's happening, as we've noted. UWL is just kind of knocking on the door. They can't get over the proverbial hump. They're in these games. 
They just can't find a way to take care of business against the Whitewaters and the Oshkoshes of the conference, at least at this point. The game that surprised me the most, and as well as Platteville had started the season, Mm -hmm. Platteville has really had the carpet pulled out from under them. They lost to Eau Claire 40-16, and suddenly after some tough games against, most notably not that long ago against Oshkosh where they were in it and Oshkosh ran away with it in the fourth quarter. It, You know how sometimes like it can dictate a season in yeah. both ways? Like yep. It can give you momentum to move forward, but it also can, as I said, pull the carpet away from you. That's kind of the feeling you're getting with Platteville right now is that somebody yanked the carpet out on them and they're just kind of faltering now as we get into the last two regular season games within the WEAC. Yeah, I you're right about about Eau Claire, where it just feels like they were on this cliff, that the sandy cliff pointing down, and they're just kind of struggling to kind of stay on. And I think they've kind of fallen off the cliff now, and they're just kind of headed to the end of the season. Um, you know, I I'm looking at this now. It's really a two horse race between Whitewater and Oshkosh, and Whitewater's got to lose, and they still beat Oshkosh. But it's just, man, I how you know Jim Cerrone, here's here's a great coach. And is able to to pick up this team after losing so many starters, get them get them through a really difficult stretch where they had how many away games at the beginning of the season, where they were they weren't home for weeks right. before they could finally play. They take on a D two program in Michigan, and and here they are now three and one, and it's a team that is deserving to be in the playoffs, assuming that they win out for the rest of the season. Um, but three and one, I'm sorry, it's three and one conference. Right. Um, but I just. It just concerns me. What Coach Cerrone has done, I think, has been noted nationally by the fact that they have two losses and they're still ranked number 10 in the country. Yeah. You look at Whitewater, excuse me, undefeated, sitting at number five. Okay, that that's more than respectable. But the fact that people outwardly looking in see that Oshkosh has two losses, one of them is against Whitewater. Okay, mm-hmm. Whitewater's ranked it's number allowed. five in yep. the country. And your other loss is against a Division two opponent, I think people are realizing on the road, road, right, in the midst of a three-game road stretch, I think people are realizing that Oshkosh is for real. And the only hope that that I'm I'm wishing is that, one, they make it in, that they get that at-large bid because right now Whitewater looks to be in control to win the WEAG. So if Oshkosh gets in, what I I don't like about the way Division III gets set up, and and I understand why because it's a travel thing, but you end up after maybe that initial first-round game, it always seems like the brackets kind of funnel you together, Mm -hmm. where I would love to see once maybe Whitewater on one side, Oshkosh (laughs) on the other side, and you get an all-Wisconsin Division Three championship. I know it's a dream. But it would be fun. It would be be outstanding. And a lot of things would still have to happen. We, We look at the fact that we have this unbelievably tough Division Three conference in the midst of our state that you have to work your way through, but we don't always give credit to some of the other conferences because they may not be as deep, but their top one or two mm-hmm. obviously can play with anybody. And and as you see by the Mount Unions of the world, I mean, has they've absolutely dominated their conference forever, but you still have to then beat the teams nationally. Right. And sometimes I think, especially for us, we get – you know, focused in on internal type things as far as the WEAC goes, and you forget how good some of these other teams are throughout the country. But yet, 
because of how tough that conference is. That's why I think the Whitewaters and Oshkoshes of the world have had the success they've had once they get to tournament play, which is only, what, three, four weeks away. Right, yeah, and you just hope that they don't beat each other up too much through the course of the season, that they, they harm themselves in a deep run into the playoffs. I don't think that's happened this year. I think that these are – now, that every coach is going to tell you that they're beat up, and you know what? You're right. They are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is, it's a long season. It's a, it's a, it's a physical dominating sport. It's a violent sport and every team is beat up a little bit. Um, but in that, in that course to be able to maintain the the quality that you have played at like a whitewater has done. And I think whitewater is the team that is, is, you know, bringing the pain, you know, bringing the violence to the game. And I think Oshkosh has been one that has been, been so good, um, recently and has just been able to play their game and, and let defense run it. Um, I, there's, it would. I, I sometimes I wonder if we could just find a way to kind of reorganize the WEAC a little bit so you could have different, you could have divisions. You know, if we could get a couple more teams in there, so you could have a north and a south division, and you could have these two teams play. And if you get, if you still get to a championship WEAC game. You've won your division. You still have a stronger chance of getting into the playoffs. And you look, though, at some of the other Division three teams throughout the state. Who wants to jump in? Right. You know what I mean? Who Who's going to want to jump in, depending upon where they are um, in in the growth of their own programs, to jump in and, and look at the fact that i got to play Whitewater, i got to play Oshkosh, i got to play lacrosse yearly. I, I – I don't I don't know how that would work. But does though it, it would be great to see a two division system much like we see in the Big Ten. But does it fix a problem? You you know, Osh can't Oshkosh can't find anybody to play. But Whitewater pro- can't find anybody to play. But I we, guess what I'm saying is it fixes their problem, Dan. Yeah, as right. far as Oshkosh and Whitewater uh-huh. goes, I think it creates a whole nother level of uh oh for whoever is coming into into the league. And I don't know at the division three level, how you entice somebody. I don't know because let's face it. You take Rutgers and Maryland Rutgers and Maryland jumped into the big 10 for financial gains. Sure. You're not going to get those financial gains at the division three level. I guess that's what I'm getting at. I think, but if you look at it, yeah, how do we put this? If you can maintain in the WEAC, if you can maintain in Wisconsin, I think some of the, some of the things that we don't consider, um, when we talk, when we think about larger programs like a Rutgers and a Maryland jumping in for financial gain, and you're right, you're not going to get a financial gain from jumping into a different D3 conference, but you can save money. Okay, you can be closer. Your traveling can be cheaper. You you can put yourself, you can market yourself in a way that is more that is stronger and more prevalent to your D3 athletes to say you will play a Whitewater, you will play an Oshkosh, you will play against the best talent in the state every week. Um, I think there may be an opportunity that way to have that conversation. That's why we call you the professor. You've always got an answer, <laughs> a good answer. <laughs> well, and you just no, drop some knowledge no, on us no, on a Thursday no, no, night. No. All right, let's take a break. And during the break, we'll continue to effort the head coach at Whitewater, head coach Kevin Bullis, and hopefully have an opportunity to talk to him about the success the Warhawks are having this season. And we'll Think about it and talk about it and do everything we need to do with it next. This is the College Football Show right here, 105.7 FM, The Fan. Oh, 
again. Welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM. The Fan. Now pleased to jump to the great Midwest Bank hotline as we are joined by the head coach at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, ranked number five this week in the country. It's head coach Kevin Bullis. Coach, how are you? Hey, doing fantastic. How about yourself, Don? We are doing great. Thank you so much for your patience, as I know we had some phone issues here. Great to have you on. Coach, we got to start with your defense. We were talking a little bit about it uh, in the last segment, Dan and I both just in amazement at how well your defense is playing, just averaging north of a field goal a game, right around 4.3 points per game. Um, the defense is returning a lot of guys from last year, and it was a group last year, I know when we talked to you, that you had some growing pains, and then things kind of clicked towards the end of the year, and that really seems to have transcended into this season. No doubt. And I mean, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, that's the thing to me, that's the most beautiful part of it is coming into last year, we knew we were immature on defense. Um, we knew they were a talented group, but immature. And um, to see their growth, and, and especially after our Oshkosh came a year ago, we lost that game, played terrible, played ter- terrible defense in that game. And the kids never looked back. They never flinched they took it as motivation and they just continued to really get game. Our next game was lacrosse and that one, we got better in the next, we got better in the next. And the beautiful part is all those kids returned and they've continued that mode of, um, we're going to do nothing but get better. And Harry Henschler, our, uh, one of our defensive captains said at the beginning of the year, he goes, we're going to be the best defense in the country. And I'm like, wow, that's a lofty statement. And uh, you know what? I shouldn't have doubted Harry. Yeah, I, I guess with with that, where where did that stem from? Was it was it um, kind of nurtured amongst themselves, where they kind of got together and said, "Listen, we're not going to have this anymore." Was it the coaching staff that kind of planted the seed, so to speak? Uh, it it just seems like you you've got a group of young men who've got this fortitude about them that just said, "Listen, we we're not having this one more time, and this is what we're going to do." I mean, not to be oversimplistic, it's all of the above. Okay. It really is. It's all of the above. I mean, we knew this was a talented group again, even a year and a half ago when we were struggling at the beginning of that season. I mean, it was just an immature young group. And to nurture them along, take care of them, make sure they understand um, learning from their failures. And that was probably the most important part of it is a lot of times you have a young player, a young athlete, a young team, and they have failure, and to the, you got to teach them how to manage it. You got to teach them how to use it as a learning experience and use it to their advantage. And that's what these guys did. They bought into that concept of don't fear failure, learn from it, because it's going to help you for a, a greater good down the road. And and those guys truly believe in that 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 philosophy. And and, and that you know that's been a base piece of what we do here. And coach, that that has to be. Um... I, I can't think of the adjective I want to throw in because last year you faced that adversity and sometimes teams that have ridden the type of success wave that you've that you've been on, when they face adversity, sometimes they don't always rebound the way you would like to see them rebound and it kind of then tailspins in a whole different direction where this group of young men with you and your coaching staff, you you were able to do exactly what you just said, which was learn from that past failure, and then 
work it into this year where you've had your your normal, shall we say, success that you've seen in the past? No doubt. I mean, and that's something, I mean, we, back in, um, you know, I've been here, well, this is my 11th season. So in 2012, we had a tipler, uh, similar season as compared to 2017. We were 7-3. and three. And, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. People are saying, well, how are they going to react now? How are they going to bounce back from that? In 2013, we came back with a, with a very good season. And it truly was. It was just going back to the foundation of what we've always taught is, is teach the basics. And, and teach through failure. Teach through those learning experiences. I mean, shoot, you can look at your life. I can look at my life. And the greatest learning experiences have been the times you fell on your face, the time you were punched in the gut a bit, you know, um, hypothetically. And, and, and no, that, no, there's and there's some yeah. actuality to that mm-hmm. too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and these kids did. I mean, they embraced it. And and I, you know, the other group that this is the thing. I mean, we had a group of seniors last the seniors of that 2017 season that, um, yeah, they, they started off one and three and they had visions of grandeur prior to that. And, um, but they finished that season with six wins and, and they were the ones that to me really made the ultimate contribution in the sense of that they taught this group of seniors how to do it right. They taught them how to fight through the adversity of during that season. And, and so, I mean, there, there's a lot of people, that I want to say thank you to for the way we've started this season. All right, Coach. So tongue firmly planted in cheek. What happened against River Falls? How are you going to give up a touchdown? What's what's going on? What what's happened <laughs> sure. as the defense faltered? What's what's the issue here, Coach? It gets soft. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny is is and, and this is the thing. I was just um, I was talking to a, uh, a friend today, and 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 this is the thing we played three quarters of very good football defensively, but in the fourth quarter, believe it or not, um, at the end of the third quarter, River Falls had 52 yards of rushing. I think it was 130 total yards offensively, but they ended that game with 308. They ended that in, in total yards. They ended that game with 153 total rushing. So, I mean, they, 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 they tripled the, um, their running production in that fourth quarter. Our defense is ticked off. Our guys are unhappy. And because, <laughs> just, just what opponents want to hear. Well, you know, and, and this is the beauty of what we teach. We tell our players the scoreboard is a byproduct of what we believe in. It'll be a reflection of what we believe in. And what we believe in is that every snap you play it to your best ability. And, and um, to give up a series of snaps is a huge mistake and, and um, that we're not learning from the previous snap. And so far, like I said, our, our defensive guys, they're done with our meetings on Monday. And we get done looking at all the graded film, and our players are ticked off. I mean, they're, they're like, nah, that, that is not what we do. And, and that's the beautiful part is they have a higher standard for themselves. They, they don't worry about the scoreboard. They, they worry about what they're doing on this play at the moment. And it just sounds like these guys are taking all of these teachable moments internalizing them and and then giving you the byproduct as you said though on the field and making some some serious gains as far as their learning curve goes coach let's jump to the other side of the ball you've had obviously success defensively but your offense really hasn't been lacking whatsoever you've been able to put points on the board 
Talk a little bit about the play at the quarterback position at the and the running back position as well. I'll tell you, I mean, just, you know, you start out with our offense. It's a pretty immature group. I mean, it's a very immature group. And um, Cole Wilbur returning, you know, he's our senior quarterback. He's so calmed down. I mean, it is, it's amazing. I mean, you know, and you, whether you watch a game on Sunday or whether you watch a game on Saturday or Friday night, when you got a quarterback that looks jittery back there, that's a problem. And, and really, Cole's first two years as a starter put way too much pressure on himself and, and was that jittery quarterback. And he, he's just calmed down. He's so relaxed. I mean, he's a California kid. Now he's kind of starting to act California cool, let's put it that way. <laughs> and and, um, and it's, that's really been a fantastic leading point for our for our entire offense coach can I interrupt you just for a second how did how did Cole get to that point like is it is it one of those things through film study is it one of those things through just game maturation whatever the case may be what do you attribute the fact that he's just been able to see the game I'll, I'll say at a little bit of a slower pace and and get that that swagger back so to speak I'll tell you the thing um we have a new offense coordinator Pete Jennings and Pete, when you, when you meet Pete, I mean, it, it, it's like um, you want to talk about cool, and call, um, you know, cool, calm, and relaxed. That, that's Pete. And and so they they have a great connection, and you can just see um, that relaxation. I mean, just even immediately last spring, um, Cole just um, they had such a great connection um, in the sense of player coach that um, I think that was a huge part of it. And no doubt, maturation. I mean, the guys, you're a senior now. You're a senior now. And there, there's a sense of, this is my last shot. Um, there's a sense of, yeah, I, I've been through some trials and tribulations, and you know, I can manage anything. And so I think it's really a culmination of a lot of those things that's really helped Cole um, dramatically. And and, I mean, you know, and the other thing is our center. I mean, I know seldom do coaches talk about centers, but uh, Nate Truen, who may in a lot of ways be the ultimate kind of heart of our offense, um, Nate, Nate and Cole have a great connection, and, and, and Cole leans on Nate and vice versa, and he's the heart of that offensive line. We have a very immature old line, but the way they're playing right now, they're playing with a great sense of maturity. Yeah, I think – many people don't realize the importance of not only what the center does as far as the the most obvious thing with the exchange, but in many cases it's about calling out some of the defensive sets that are in front and helping those other offensive linemen understand what their assignment is really going to be if someone gives them a little bit of a different look than maybe what you practice going into that situation. You nailed it. I mean, that's exactly what it is. I mean, he is – He's the brain center of that offensive line, and if that group is not clicking, and, and like I said, that's an immature group, and and Nate has just grabbed control of them. I mean, there, there's uh, he, he's it's fantastic to watch him at work with that group, and, and that ultimately is what's given us our run game. That really is. I mean, I know Alex Pete are, are, and and Ronnie Panic, our two tailbacks, really get a lot of credit, and they're very good and very talented young men. But if it wasn't for Nate Troon and that offensive line, uh, they they wouldn't have the production. We wouldn't have that production. Coach, at the running back spot, as you mentioned, Alex Pete uh, being one of them, 
obvious the obvious athleticism is is usually there when guys can make it to that next level in, in playing college ball. What sets these guys apart from some of the other running backs, even within the own conference, within the own your own conference? Can I speak here? Yeah, yeah you, can. Um, you can do it. Within the conference, that kind of sets them apart from what you've been able to witness to this point. I mean, the thing with the, you know, I'll start off with Alex. I mean, Alex is just a fantastic athlete. I, I think if anything, I probably should have got him on the football field more last year as a freshman. And, and we had some dang good tailbacks last year. And um, his maturity is bizarre. I mean, the guy plays the game like he's a senior and he's a sophomore. I mean, and the, his approach to training and preparation for a game, for a season, is utterly amazing. I mean, he he's, uh, comes from a family of wrestlers. So, you know, you know wrestlers, those, they're tough son of the guns. You know what I mean? And, and his approach to the game is fantastic. The thing that makes him stand stand out is his discipline to his reads. Is utter, I mean, above and beyond being a heck of an athlete, is a you know his ability to be able to have play and run with great vision and and to those reads is amazing. You know, Ronnie Ponick, he he's an old school tailback. I mean, he is just he is not going to run around you. He is going to run through you, which is a great combination when you have two tailbacks that are in a lot of ways on the opposite ends of the spectrum. That makes it tough defensively um, to defend them. It's tough for a safety to figure out how they're going to run. It's tough for, you know, for those second and third level players on a defense to figure out how a tailback's going to run and finish a run. And now suddenly you got two guys that, that really kind of live in two different worlds. Uh, that makes it difficult for a defense. Coach, the way the season has played out as is, is we've gone week after week and, and looked at the WEAC and the schedule and so forth, you right now and being with Whitewater and Oshkosh have kind of risen back to the top, and yet the remaining games, if you were just to look at the schedule on paper and look at the fact that you've got to play stout point in the next couple of weeks and then finish with Platteville, and Platteville's kind of faltering a little bit here down the stretch – but all of these teams within the conference have had their what we'll call upset wins. Some some are playing better now than what they did early on in the season. There, there's risk, really no time to take a game off or you don't get afforded that opportunity because some of these teams now are starting to catch their stride even though it's late in the season. Well, no doubt. I mean, I've been a part of this league since 1990. I came into this league in 1990 at, at River Falls or UW River Falls. And uh, you, you uh, I know one thing, If and I'm not a gambling man, but I would <laughs> never gamble on this league. Let's put it that way. Sure. In, in, in all reality. And it's just what you're saying. I mean, and I say that historically. That's why I bring up 1990 is, is – the history of this league is, is it's utterly amazing. I mean, it's really an honor to be a part of it because every week, and you better not take one game for granted. I promise you that. And, and I mean, who would have predicted the Platteville-Eau Claire score last week? Nobody. Right. Nobody. You, you can't tell me anybody. I mean, somebody just won a lottery this past week. Crime me. That person had a better opportunity of winning that lottery than predicting that, <laughs> you know, and and that's you just can't take a game for granted. You can't. It's too physical league. It's too well coached of a league. Um, too dang good of football players. 
Coach. And, uh, no, go ahead, sir. No, and I, I was just, uh, I, I'm Coach, can't thank you enough for your patience uh, this evening as we uh, tried to get the phone situation worked out. Best wishes as you go to Stout this week. It's a 1 o'clock game up there in Menominee. Congratulations on the success so far, and we'll definitely be watching as hopefully we see this Warhawk team advance into the postseason. Oh, thank you very much, gentlemen. Enjoy the evening. All right. Thanks, Coach. That's the head coach at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, the Warhawk program. That's Kevin Bullis joining us on the great Midwest Bank Hotline. Time for us to step aside, take a break. When we come back, I want to skip ahead a little bit than what guys I had on the agenda just based on time, and I want to talk about this whole targeting situation and the potential of do we need now to have some sort of an appeal process after what happened to Devin White in LSU, and we'll get into it next. This is, once again, the College Football Show right here, 105.7 FM, The Fan. Football show right here on 105.7 FM. The fan. Keep your clothes on, Dan. Orlowski. <laughs> Can't take you anywhere, huh? can we? What? You know, this is this is from the man who was back there. I, I was watching him jam. He was yeah. doing his thing back there. All right, let's talk about this whole idea. Um, in watching the game over the weekend with LSU and Devin White, and it's it's elicited this whole movement. There's this hashtag free Devin White. Uh, LSU had a GoFundMe page to raise money <laughs> to put a billboard in front of the NCAA offices. I mean, but when you see the hit, it was a late hit on the quarterback. It was a personal foul. End of discussion as far as I can see. And it, it, as far as anybody else I've listened to, and whether it's a commentator, one of the refs that has retired and now – working for the four-letter network or CBS or Fox or whatever, to a man, there is nobody who can understand how this was targeting. When you watch it in slow motion, I get what the ref saw on the field. His head is tilted slightly forward, and it looks as if there is contact made between the helmet and the face mask. But when you watch it in slow motion, he's got his hands out in front of him, and he gives him a pretty good shot to the sternum and knocks him on his tail which is 15 yards, roughing the quarterback, let's move on. The issue at hand is he got called for targeting. Now he's going to be suspended. And what LSU has lost is their best defender because they're off this week and they come back against Alabama. So when it comes time to play Alabama, who a lot of people believe LSU now has a chance of beating the way they're kind of playing as the season has progressed, Mm -hmm. they're without their number one defender because of a call, at least outwardly looking in, shouldn't be. So I'm wondering, do we now need to find a way to appeal where these calls are made and you get an opportunity to say, listen, here's some videotape evidence. I don't think this is necessarily targeting. It needs to be reversed. What say you? I, I'm so where I sit in the studio, I can see Jeff's screens and I can see, you know, the play and seeing it before, looking at it again over and over again. He's got it on kind of a loop through I think it's Twitter. Um man, I just remember when this play at all wasn't even rough in the passer. Exactly. I, I, I look at that. Yeah. And and I think I think the problem was is that the reason it was called is he 
he drops his head a little bit as he's approaching the quarterback, but then he kind of picks up and he pulls up a little bit, but he's still a step away, gives him a shove, and the quarterback falls down. Now, whether or not that's roughing the passer, I think that today it is. Today, today, just, in today today's age, yes. Today's age, I guess that's roughing the passer. But, Don, I'm with you. I don't know at this point now how you how you don't have some type of, of process to appeal that. Now, now there are times, uh, was it two weeks ago, Scotty Nelson yeah. you know, targeted a guy, and it was targeting, and, and, and it was it was a clear head-to-head shot, and he had to sit, right? That was easy. This isn't it. This, this, this is, is not targeting. This is not at all. In today's football, Jeff, this is roughing the passer, whether we agree if it's roughing the passer or not. But the way we protect the quarterback today, this to me would qualify as roughing the passer, and that's it. His hands are in front of him. There right. is no helmet – to helmet contact whatsoever, and he gets a shot. Listen, any defender who spent the entire game trying to get to the quarterback and finally gets there is going to give him a little bit of a nudge. And all he does is push him on his back. It's not as if all of a sudden we're seeing this young man in concussion protocol. Right. There was no helmet-to-helmet right. contact. No, it the hit was, you know, it was very light. Uh, it when watching it on a loop now, I've seen it a hundred times in the last minute because it's only six seconds long and my math is fantastic. But, you know, he doesn't even take another step. Once the quarterback, once yeah. the ball yeah. is gone, he's already in stride heading towards right. the quarterback. Right. So there's nothing he can do. And, uh, yeah, it's a bogus call for a multi-billion dollar, uh, you know, industry like college football. They should have it set up where you can file an appeal on on a call like this or, you know, stuff like that, and it gets reviewed. It gets reviewed quick, especially, you know, they're off this week, which is fine, but say they had a play on Saturday, you know, you sit there and you file the appeal on Sunday and you get a decision by Wednesday. Yeah, I'm with you. It should be fast and just bang, bang, and you know what you're working with going into next week. And just to use what you just said there, the fact that it's fast and bang, bang, I get why the referee on the field threw the flag thinking sure. it's targeting. Yeah, I can see it. When yeah. you look at this thing, as you said, over and over again, and you see how he was angled coming in, the fact that it's obviously played at a much greater speed than what we're watching it on this loop, I can I can see how the referee is going to drop the flag, not only call it roughing the passer, but want to see if it's targeting. What I don't understand, and I repeatedly don't understand sometimes in college football, is when it goes upstairs and the guys are watching the replay. And there are times we can sit at home and go, it's a touchdown. It was a touchdown 30 seconds ago. It's a touchdown now a minute and a half ago, two and a half minutes. It was a touchdown when it happened. They called it on the field. And it seems to take them forever to make a call that is obvious. And in this case, it's obvious that this is not targeting, and yet, with the replay and with the angles and with all the slow motion there is, in essence, to a man, they still got it wrong. Right. I think, but we got to keep one thing in the back of our minds, which is there's what we see, and then there's a rule book that's, that tells them how to call that action at that time. Okay, but Dan, with that, and I, and I, hear, what you, I uh-huh. hear what you're saying, but if you look at the letter of the rule, and I don't have it sitting in front of me, but the letter of the rule talks about contact to the head. There is no con- okay. the contact is two hands to the sternum. There is no contact to the head, which to me then would mean if we go by the letter of the law, it shouldn't even have been considered. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. But I think 
The problem is, is that we've gotten to this place now. For example, what's a catch? We know what a catch is. We know we understand what it means when the ball crosses the goal line and and when you hit the ground and all that stuff. But we've got to go through over and over again. And part of the problem is, is the way the way it is defined, or the fact that it's even defined at all. So here we are now, and I think official officials now are not looking for what they see on a replay per se. They're looking at a replay and how it, how it compares to the rule book. So I, it, what what I'm looking at is that. Was that head-to-head contact? No, no, I hear you. It's not. But I think they're not even – they're beyond that. They're just, do I look at the rule book, which is their, what they're charged to do, and then common sense takes a back, you know, back seat. Jeff, I know you pulled up the rule. What does the rule say? Well, a lot of it is about launching. It's about hits to the head, uh, leading with the helmet, shoulder, forearm, fist. What they're calling this is uh, a, a hit against a, a defenseless player. Now – he got rid of the ball <laughs> a half a second, and like right. I said, he didn't take another step before right. he went into him. He was already, he was already yes. on top of him. Yeah. So there's nothing he can do. You know, uh, they they took it way way overboard, and uh, you know the fact that all the targeting rules are reviewed upstairs, and that they still you know they upheld this penalty is is a joke, and it's sad and. Uh, you know, we're going to see less of a marquee matchup with with them missing him for the f- entire first half against Alabama. It changes the dynamics of what could be a really, really interesting game because no one to this point has really challenged Alabama oh, whatsoever. Nobody. And LSU could be the challenge that Alabama needs to see whether or not we believe they are that team that sits here and everybody else lies underneath time for us to take another break when we come back we'll continue our discussion here talking about college football we'll do it next this is the college football show right here on 105.7 fm the fan you know what i won't shuffle the phone i won't shuffle the phone i won't shuffle the phone i feel like shuffle the phone i got shuffle the phone once again, welcome back into the college football show right here on 1057 FM. The fan shovel of funk is being brought to you by Americana Apparel. Whether you need t-shirts for an upcoming event or team jerseys and gear, Americana Apparel has you covered. Owner Jim Van Acker will provide you with unparalleled quality and service for all your custom silk screening and embroidery needs. Check them out on their website at AmericanaApparelLLC.com. Once again, that's AmericanaApparelLLC.com. Americana Apparel, the official outfitters of the college football show. Gentlemen, time to start handing out the shovels. Jeff, I start with you. All right, mine goes to Maryland, a two-month investigation about the uh, quote-unquote toxic culture. Uh, They come back and said it wasn't toxic, even though there was multiple (laughs) reports of – you know, the uh, strength and conditioning coach throwing weights, throwing food at players, throwing a trash can full of vomit. If that doesn't mean toxic, I don't know what does. Uh, but I guess everything's fine. So look the other way, and uh, Maryland's a OK. I wonder what Thanksgiving is like at that guy's house. You know, oh, just, oh, man. Okay. Wow. Just that stand was... on the front lawn, you get the whole <laughs> meal. <laughs> 
<laughs> Underberg, go ahead. I got to go Andy Van Ginkle. This is a linebacker from Wisconsin that's been hurt the bulk of the year. And against against Illinois, he had a great game. You get a sense he's getting his game back a little bit. He's getting his, his ankle back to may, maybe won't be full strength this year, but it, it's, it's going to get there. Um, he had six tackles, one sack, one tackle for a loss. Um, but he was just active all game, and it was good to see him back again. I'm going to give out two this week. One, I think, is a given, and that goes to Tyler Trent, the uh, the fan, uh, the Purdue super fan who's battling bone cancer, who has been an absolute inspiration. Now, is it Michigan? It's Michigan State. I think it's that they yell the opposing team on kickoff. or They've got some tradition. But this kid is transcending sports so much that when they kick off this week, the entire stadium's yelling cancer sucks on his behalf. I mean, nice. his yep. story nice. is starting to transcend, and unfortunately, too many a times we see too many of these stories, and hopefully one of these days we'll talk, be talking about somebody who's come up with a cure for some of this mess. But this entire Tyler Trent story is absolutely miraculous and, and kind of the, the fuel he gave Purdue in beating Ohio State. My other one goes to Michigan, Michigan State. That to me was college football at its finest. Mm-hmm. Little pre-game scrum, a little, uh, a little pushing, a little shoving, a little trash talking between the coaches. That just to me was just great Big Ten football. So I'll give my other shovel to both of those guys for a job well done. Music in the background says it's time for us to get up out of here. We have to thank the head coach at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, head coach Kevin Bullis, for joining us this evening. Their team ranked number five in the country. For the Polish pipe bomb, Jeff Orlowski, the professor, Dan Underberg, I'm Don Wachulis. Thank you so much for joining us once again. We're back in 6 and 22. Enjoy some football this weekend, Milwaukee. Take care. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.